0: This is The Shift Podcast.
1: Eric Chapman is in the house. Welcome, Canada. It's Friday. Let's hang out and do some fun stuff together. Oh, I've been doing too many things lately. I I quit coffee this week. And I tell you, it's not fun. No. No. I only started drinking, Matt, coffee like five or six years ago. Not even when I started doing morning radio at another radio station. I didn't drink coffee up until then, and then I just became this coffee snob, and I love it. Like, I could bathe in it. <laughs> it's beautiful. Like, get it in my vein, just like the vaccination. But I just noticed lately I've been drinking too much ever since my dad passed, and that whole thing happened sort of three weeks ago, ever since that day. The dog and all that. Yeah, the dog. I got a dog update, too, in a bit here. Um, yeah, I've just been drinking so much. Way too much. Way too much. You'll learn there is a recommended amount and i'm way above it so the other day i I was like okay i got weed i got booze and i got coffee i'm not quitting weed that's not going anywhere yet i can cut back on the booze and i can just ditch the coffee and so i've ditched coffee so i've had it once i've had twice now sorry i I lied i've had it twice because the first time was the other day and i got this weird it was like Oh man, I got blurred vision, tunneled vision, I couldn't see I had to sit down and drink like a gallon of water. It was horrible. And then I had another one tonight because I'm so tired because I haven't had a coffee today. And I tried a tea. Tea is not it's not the same. It doesn't cut it. You get you get the caffeine. I understand it's more caffeine in some cases, but it's just not the same, Matt. It's
2: not the same. No, it is it is clearly not the same. Um I've you know, I've tried it. Not that I would try to cut coffee from my personal I, I consider it like an essential service in my in my system. <laughs> uh, it's like
1: food and water. Yeah. Like it's up there. Yeah,
2: like I, I recognize that there's liquids that are fun and that you can cut back on and have a better life. Yeah, 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 yeah. Coffee is not one of them for me. Yeah. I I, I will drink it until uh, I'm on my deathbed with my last cup of coffee. You
1: can't. You want to die with coffee in your hand.
2: I want to die with coffee in my mouth.
1: Why wow. <laughs> In your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> oh, how do you plan? That's amazing. I want you to do that too, dude. That's amazing. Oh, uh, Catherine says I quit coffee, cigs, weed, MDMA, soap operas, and alcohol. Wow, good for you, Catherine. That's amazing. That's 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 really amazing. Trucker Brian. You're in California. How you doing, Eric, my man? I'm doing well, brother. How, are you safe out there? Yeah, I should quit driving in California. That's what I could do. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Stuck in construction, sitting here on the I-15, just coming into L.A., God.
1: Oh, uh, man, is it tough? Well, oh, 34-minute delay. Oh, jeez. Oh, I've never been in that L.A. I've never been in that L.A. traffic before. It's it's as bad as it is in the movies? Uh, it can be. It yeah. can be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it definitely can be. Mm-hmm. So what I quit is I – like, we've got a
3: new site. You know, of course, I'm involved with my flight of Pitbull. And um, we got rid of the old site. And we got the new site, Pitbull Trucking Canada, giving us a, a seamless plug But I quit negative people, uh, listening to negative people on my site and wanting just positive feedback and cross-posting and people that want to be involved with saving these
1: amazing dogs. That's what I quit. Trucker Brian, nice one. That's an awesome thing to quit, dude.
3: Yeah, I think so. It's definitely given me a new perspective on things. And, uh, you know, the people I deal with are just very positive people. I, you know, I think it evolved really from when I was painting the rocks and yeah. going on that site because that site was so positive, right? There was nothing negative. It didn't matter how crappy a rock somebody painted, it was, hey, awesome job. Yeah. Love the rock, you yeah. know. And I think it rubbed
1: off on me. Wow. And, uh,
3: you know, okay. I, I think it's a good thing.
1: Awesome. Yeah, because, you know, that's probably quitting negative people is probably good for your health, too. It keeps your heart rate down. It keeps the stress levels down. I love it, Trucker Brian. That's a great one. Thanks. Hey, you, you uh, stay healthy, my friend. I will. And you stay safe out there. I always like to hear from C- Trucker Brian on the road in California. Oof. Uh, getting some more texts at 877-399-9898. Uh, I thought that I quit buying guitars. <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't. <laughs> I purchased a 1974 American Stratocaster hardtail yesterday afternoon. Roadhammer, is that a fancy uh, um, axe, Matt?
2: Oh yeah, like Fender. I mean, Fender Stratocaster Classic. You know, mm-hmm. that'll that'll uh, that'll be nice, man. That'll cool. Be, it'll do what you want for sure. Cool.
1: Yeah, you know, I don't think I could ever stop the purchases like records or like vintage equipment and stuff i don't think i could i honestly don't think i could quit buying that stuff uh, not when it brings you so much joy you know? oh so much joy i love just staring at my tape player i stared at it today i was just like wow look at this it's so amazing oh quitting things is the worst uh, i got a text from lyle uh, i don't drink coffee tea anything with caffeine because i'm allergic to caffeine oh you can be, aller- I guess you can be allergic to anything. No chocolate bars, no hot chocolate, chocolate chips, no pop, Pepsi, Coke. I get deadly sick with the galloping trot, so I stay away from it. <laughs> I drink lots of water, Guinness sometimes, Lucky Lager, love me a Lucky. I never smoke cigs or pot. Odd, I know, but whatever to each their own. Thanks, guys. Loud. Yeah, you know, there's. A lot of people haven't smoked pot. I don't think that's a weird thing. Oh, no. Because a lot of people I, I find I run into that don't smoke weed. They're like, yeah, I know it's weird. I don't smoke pot. I've, I'd say it's more people I know that don't smoke pot that do smoke pot, to be, to be honest. So that's not a weird thing. Not weird at all. No, not at all. I got another one at eight seven seven three nine nine ninety eight ninety eight from Trucker Dan. Before I will even attempt to quit coffee, I will give up oxygen first. Wow! Yeah, my man. That sounds like you there, Maddie. That's two two peas in a pod, or two two coffee beans on a on a twig. You guys are darn right. You are. Uh, Ian in Richmond Hill has a coffee fact. Ian, what do you you got? Some knowledge you're going to drop on us? Eric is in the house. My man. I I love
4: that line. Eric Chapman Um, is in the house. (laughs) So here's, here's something really crazy. We go to war over oil. Yeah. The second highest commodity traded on the market is coffee. Is it really? Yes.
1: Wow. Is
4: that not scary? If you were to stop coffee tomorrow... The world would turn right on its edge. Dang.
1: Well, cat, uh, d- the dog walker cat. She was saying something like 2.4 billion. So yeah, that sounds about right, dude. That's nuts. Yeah, I
4: used to uh, I used to live in Edmonton and I worked at a bar and we had a guy that would come in and he would drink literally three pints of coffee. He was a guitar player. He would come around on a circuit once every three months and he would drink at least three liters of coffee a night and it was just a given that when he came in, I put the coffee pot on. Yeah, yeah. And one night he came in and he said, nope, I just want a drizzle, which is like half an ounce to a pint cup and the rest in hot water. And he was telling me, he said, three months ago, I quit drinking coffee. I put a little bit in just for that slight caffeine yeah. kick. Yeah. But he healed faster. He says, my finger's... My fingers from playing guitar heal faster. Really, I feel better. I sleep better. It's a little bit, a little bit of coffee in your plant, uh-huh. your house plant, uh-huh. it makes it happy. Too much will kill it, of course. No kidding. The way we, the way we drink coffee is not the way to drink to consume that beverage Is it, we we drink it way too strong and thick
1: it's it's all the is it all the acid in it is it's too acidic i'm i'm assuming so I okay mean, you know
4: yeah. I'm, I'm no you know no expert on that but no no uh, i got you yeah. i know that a little bit is is beneficial hmm. but the way we drink it is not it's good. No good
1: well you know you hear you ever you hear it once in a while too like um the the experienced citizens the older folks you know it's like well i survived on a on a thumb or a thimbleful of rye every day, or a thimbleful of coffee every day. So yeah, you do hear that, Ian. That's really interesting. And yeah, yeah. the fact that I, I feel like if we drink that, what are we, are we going to run out? Like, how much coffee is that? I wonder what the pounds are. That's fascinating. Oh yeah, right, yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah. And I, I have to mirror Trucker Brian. Uh, I didn't even think
4: of it. Um, I have quit negative people around me. Oh, I love and this it's one. Been a lot better. Yeah. Uh, But the one thing I really want to quit, because I am so upset, I just found out today how much I'm spending in services to my bank. I I hope you do a subject on who's the best bank out there, because these guys just hit me with $100 in charges last month that they didn't even tell me about. They just said, well, we raised our limits, and uh, now that you're using your car. I said, in a pandemic Come on! I got to use my. I, I got to use my card. No one
1: accepts cash. Yeah, we raised our. Uh, we raised our rates. Wow! You know, I was actually Ian. Really quick before I let you go, I was listening to a financial thing yesterday about something exactly about this. This guy was. He thought he was only two in, paying two percent interest for us uh, charges and service to his bank. Turns out he was paying like four or five percent. Yeah. Well, you see, I, I've got to deal with my account where if I keep two
4: thousand dollars in my one checking account, I get unlimited yeah. um, debit charges, yeah, right? Yeah. Well, we're in a pandemic. No one wants cash. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Dang. They turned around and raised it up to five grand, the <gasps> minimum. They said, oh, yeah, we did that last month. Uh, yeah, last month you paid uh, $100 in charges. Jeez. Dude, you could have told me that.
1: Yeah, right. We need to be able to quit our banks, Ian. I so, wish we could well, do that. I'm going shopping. I'll tell you that, yeah. my brother. Yeah. Anyway. All right, my man. Now that you've quit
4: coffee, though, yeah.
1: you've turned the market on its ear. I'll tell you, I'll <laughs> tell you that. <laughs> Have a great night, guys. Thanks, thanks, Ian. Right on. Matt says hi, too. Uh, getting some more texts and calls at 877-399-9898. Ken in Calgary says, I quit drinking Coke. I used to drink up to four liters per day. Oh! <gasps> Dude. Oh, Ken. Wow. Did you do you Was it rotting your teeth? I wonder. Like, was that what was the biggest effect it had on your body? I also quit dating women who own small dogs, and my <laughs> mental health is greatly improved. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, all right. <laughs> Ken, I have a small dog. I hope women date me because of that, not for that. But yeah, wow. That's good for you. I know a lot of people that drink Coke, uh, like religiously as well, and it's tough to kick. Man, oh, man. Four liters per day. I used to drink a lot of milk used to drink like four liters of milk every two days i loved milk but then s- someone used a phrase that i oh i can't think of it anymore um katherine and Surrey.
0: hey hey i did everything as a teenager as you've seen in my text there
1: yeah you did yeah you did
0: <laughs> so um
1: except why'd you quit soap <laughs> operas why why
0: it got too negative. I just got. <laughs> an end. And if my girlfriend would call, I'd freak out on her and hang up on her, and scream at her, and have my soap operas on. I was real bad. Oh, so. <laughs> oh, man. But I I quit acid. I quit um, everything on that list. Her MDA. Um, you alcohol. Quit,
1: uh, you quit cigarettes, though? You have a weird story about quitting cigarettes? Yeah. What is it?
0: the cigarettes, I was going to a party, and I couldn't quit, I tried everything, I bought all the chiclets, you know, flavors, you and I chew them all one night, I couldn't quit, there's just no way, Mm -hmm. and I went to a party with the guy I was dating, and this guy came around the corner, um, in the house, and he, my guy was dating, I want to my ex because I end up marrying him, but he got punched out. This guy was just one to fight and punched him right out. He couldn't see at all out of his eyes that night. For two days, he couldn't see. His vision was gone. You know, I never smoked a cigarette after that night. Hmm. And I never craved it. It was really weird.
1: That's really weird. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Thanks for the call, Catherine. That's my mom. She quit smoking. She was driving down the road. Same thing she did for 30 years. She smoked. I think I've told this story before. She Nothing different. Everything's fine. It, she wasn't sick with her cancers or anything. Just a regular day. Lights her smoke. Takes two puffs. Has to pull over. Vomits. Is like, whoa, that was weird. She, she liked to smoke. So she drove another kilometer. Lit another smoke. Tried to smoke at two puffs. Threw up again. Hasn't smoked since. It's been 15 years. Same thing. She doesn't crave it. She doesn't really think about it. It's no big deal. Man. Tom in Hamilton, what have you tried to give up?
5: Hi. uh, So I tried giving up alcohol uh, for quite a bit, like in 2021 Mm -hmm. and late 2020, Mm -hmm. uh, because once I moved out of my parents' house, like back oh, this is like June 2020, all of a sudden I have access, I have enough space for my own liquor cabinet and fridge full of drinks, mm-hmm. which was uh great. Not to mention this is like June 2020, so this is around the time the pandemic yeah. was still like in its peak,
0: Yeah, and
5: uh, the Karens tried cutting their own hair, didn't work out, so we took to the streets. <laughs> not to mention I also moved in with uh, not-so-fun roommates that made things much, much worse. So all of those together, perfect set of circumstances to all of a sudden – drink way more than i previously had before yeah uh not to mention of course i was right right next to an lcbo and iron maiden beer is like two dollars a can so all of a sudden wow multiple trips to the (laughs) yeah
0: it's
5: good stuff though multiple trips to the lcbo like for constant time um i've definitely i've definitely like not quit drinking but uh i've i'm thankfully able to say i've definitely toned it down with good with how much i do consume good uh yeah, because it's definitely not healthy to be drinking a whole lot. And not to mention, I, the previous roommate also didn't last long, so bye-bye. Uh, <laughs> less drinking, all of a sudden less problems, and it was great. It no. was, uh,
1: awesome. It's way better now. No, good for you, Tom. That's awesome. I'm glad to hear that. Have a great night. Thanks for calling.
0: This is The Shift Podcast.
1: Alright, I'm not sure if you saw the other day, but uh, Dr. Alan Lagamodier, the new Indigenous Reconciliation and Northern Relations Minister, was he was making a statement on his first day of the job. And Manitoba NDP leader Wab Kinu, uh interjected. Here's what that sounded like.
6: The, the residential school system was designed to take Indigenous children and give them the skills and abilities they would need to fit into the uh, society as it moved forward. So, uh,
2: but I think that was the policy. Do uh, you think that was the intention five, five, ago, to do that? This so this might, to just, to just the I am an honorary
1: witness for the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. I listen to the stories of the survivors. Yes. And I cannot accept you saying what you just said about
5: residential schools. It was the express intent of residential schools to kill the Indian in the child. It is not cultural relativism, it is not revisionist history for us to say that that was wrong. Any
1: right-minded person at the time should have known that it was wrong. Many did know and speak up against it. And if you are to take your job, that you've been appointed to by Mister. Pallister. Seriously, starting today, you have to change that. That's a tough day on the first job. Um, it, 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 this, this, this—what I'm about to talk—it's it, interesting that this happened. I don't think it came because of these comments. But I was on the Bird site and I saw this thing. It was a thread called the Denialist Glossary, and this glossary is full of words like or phrases like good intentions, things like that. It's like, well, when you use them in certain contexts, you, you sound like a jerk. That's basically it. So me being curious, I got in, t- in, in contact with the author of the tweet to talk about what it's all about.
6: My name is Daniel Heath-Justice. I'm a citizen of the Cherokee Nation, originally from Colorado, and I'm a professor in critical indigenous studies in English at the University of British Columbia on Unceded Musqueam territory.
1: Fantastic. Um, is it Wado? It is. Yeah. (laughs) Awesome. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, uh, if that's, thank you, um, for anybody that doesn't know if, 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 okay. If my, my first question is if we're going to, to battle this, this beast, this, this, this whole thing, we are moving forward as a society evolves. Why Daniel, is it so important? Um, we understand language and these phrases and the way they're used in this context that you speak of in your, um, um, uh, sort of uh, denialist glossary you you mentioned on Twitter. I think
6: part of the reason is because there is a lot that many Canadians just don't know, mm-hmm. um, even now, that there's still a lot about uh, the residential so-called schools um, that when when people don't understand them, they hear particular terms and you know. If we think that they mean what they mean in general discourse, then the history, the specific history of this, of the residential school system um, is, is read badly. So, for example, we call them residential schools. But to think of them as schools is, is a mistake. Um, that was certainly part of the rationale. But what actually happened in them was very little teaching um, and an enormous amount of cultural shame and abuse, not just physical abuse, not just sexual abuse, but emotional and intellectual abuse. Um, and so I think we need to think about terminology and the, the specific terminology of these systems, because once we actually understand how they functioned, and once we understand how these words exist in relation to the, the reality, then it's a very different kind of conversation. But I think some denialists really want to muddy the language to muddy the issue. Right.
1: Right. Um, I think you, you mentioned system in, in, which, in your response there. And I think that maybe I just want to point this out and wonder if you would agree that when we talk about systemic things, people are like, I don't understand that. So I wonder, this would probably be a good example of the system and how it works and how it's used to, to put people down.
6: Absolutely. Well, I mean, residential schools were in operation for decades, right, Um, for, you know, more than 100 years. Uh, And every school had its own particularities, every school had its own realities, but they were also part of a much larger system that was enforced not just by churches, but also by the RCMP, also by... Uh, The federal government, they were reinforced by local white communities who also provided a a degree of surveillance over any students who managed to escape. Um, Some of those communities also benefited from the labor of students who were hired out or trafficked uh, to local landowners. Um, And these were not isolated incidents. These were built into the system of of residential schooling. for years and for generations and for multiple generations of families. So when we're we're talking about systems, I think it can feel very, um, distant. I think it can feel very, uh, vague, but the reality is these were quite intentionally designed Mm -hmm. systems and they changed over time, often for the worst. Um, (laughs) and I mean, and that's one thing it's not, you know, People talk inexplicably about good intentions, but what we see again and again from the administrator's own documents, from lawmakers' own documents, from uh, church officials' own documents, is that they found it difficult to destroy children's spirits. So they had to keep changing things up to make that job more successful. Um, And at the end of the day, it didn't, it wasn't successful um, in terms of destroying indigenous peoples as peoples, but it did a huge amount of harm to a lot of families.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, again, you mentioned it there, change over time. I think that's a great, like, it's important all things change, even when we have good intentions, that can change over time. The j- jokes don't sit well now. All things change, and I think that's a good thing. Um, uh, Wab uh Manitoba NDP leader, I wonder if you um, saw his reaction to uh, Indigenous uh, Reconciliations Minister Dr. Langdemir. Um. How important is our reaction when we hear these things to point it out and educate in, in a positive way? How important is that for us to do? I think it's really vital because
6: uh, denialists, thrive in silence, oh. um, Ooh, right? Like yeah, um, yeah. They thrive where there is uncertainty. Uh, they thrive where there is doubt. And the nihilists present themselves very much as reasonable, right? But they're, they're doing it with a very knowing interest in undermining truth. Um, you know, and and they don't all have the same motivation by any means. Um, But I think there, there are ways in which if they get the floor, and nobody speaks back, then they actually get to determine the frame of reference. And that frame of reference is that frame of reference is a lie. It's rooted in falsehood, and it's rooted in abuse. And I think we have to get a point where we can push back on that and and push back on the on the um, manipulation of language that is happening there.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned the reaction of the denialists in those situations with Wab Canoe. Um, what's your reaction? How does that make you? Does Is it empowering to you and, and, and those, of, uh, those of us in the struggle? I think it's always empowering when people speak truth to power.
6: Yeah. Um, I I feel bad for for folks who have to do that work. It's hard. It's hard to to constantly have to be pushing back on things that are obviously wrong. Things that have been repeatedly proven to be wrong. Um So it's exhausting. And that's, I mean, I think it's empowering to see it happen, but there's also the flip side, it's exhausting. And you can recognize the exhaustion. You can see the exhaustion Um, because it's just, it's relentless. Um, How many times do we have to justify indigenous humanity? Um, Why do we have to keep doing that? And yet clearly we do. Right.
1: You know, I'm going to be honest, Daniel, even reaching out to you and other Indigenous and First Nations people as a as a media person, like a lot of the time, I just I feel like a I feel I feel that on this side. I, I, I don't know what if it means anything, but I I, I I know what you're saying and and I hear you and I, I hope in the future that I can what I try to do is I try to talk to Indigenous and First Nations people constantly all the time. So that it's not just a headline. And that's kind, of, that's kind of what I like to do with it. But even in those situations, reaching out, I feel like, you know, again, I have to, they have to share with me this line that's been said for, it feels like, 100 or 500 years. So, yeah, I totally, I, I just want to let you know I feel that. Um, maybe, maybe you could give another one or two examples of, um, from your glossary that you gave examples, that you, uh, your glossary that you made. Maybe one or two more if you, if you, if you had a minute. Of Maybe a
6: classic line
1: that's always used.
6: Oh, the good intentions one drives me crazy. Um, And part of it is because it's used as a comp out. You know, former Senator Lynn Bayak. that was her big thing. You know, good intentions, they did good things. um, As if intentions have any relationship to impact. Um, There are a lot of people who do horrendous things with the very best of intentions but those intentions are based on their own selfish interests they're not based on the the interests or needs of the people who they seem to who, who they claim to be representing so um my glossary definition was good intentions no matter how many bodies are found, how many people testify to the lifelong traumas of extensive abuse at the hands of church officials and teachers, white people's so-called good intentions and missionary piety are the real victims here. Um, I mean, to, to my mind, I don't care about good intentions because good intentions are claimed oftentimes when by abusers. Um, like, I mean, how many of us as kids um, you know, had people say I'm doing this for your own good, and we knew damn well it wasn't for our good. It was because they were they wanted to. Um, this this sense that somehow um, all of the abuse is rendered moot because people had good intentions. Well, a lot of these people with good intentions were eugenicists who believed that Indigenous people um, were a subhuman group who had to be in a servile position and couldn't be equal and their good intentions were for white supremacy they weren't for indigenous people Mm -hmm. um there some people had good intentions to help teach indigenous people Uh, well now teaching is fine but do you really need the rcmp to enforce students attending from another province and not allow parents and families to see them how is that good intention functional toward good education. Um, so this this idea of good intentions, and frankly, a lot of the denialists have family members who taught in these schools. Um, they have um, friends and, and family and neighbors who were connected to these schools in some ways. Maybe they were part of that system themselves, and they're trying to evade accountability. Uh, they're trying to justify their own participation in a really horrendous system. Um, but good intentions are not a get-out-of-jail-free card. Good intentions disconnected from impact are not a justification for what happened. So that, that would be one of the, the big ones for me. Is every time I hear good intentions, they meant well, they tried to do good, um, and they didn't. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> they did a lot of harm. Right. So Whatever the hell their intentions were is is irrelevant. Irrelevant, yeah. What was the impact? Yeah,
1: yeah. Daniel, where can we find your denialist glossary on Twitter?
6: Um, At Justice Daniel H.
1: Sorry, say that one more time. You broke up.
6: Oh, I'm sorry. At Justice Daniel H.
1: Awesome. At Justice Daniel H. Daniel, this was very informative. Thank you very much for your time today. I very much appreciate it. Thank you so much for reaching out.
0: It's the Shift Podcast.
1: If you are headed out to the bush or you live in a small town, there's some good information here. Uh, Andrea Bennett, editor at the TIE, wrote an article, how do I evacuate from my small town without a car? And like I said, tornadoes in Barrie, flooding in Belgium, Lytton, BC, gone, fires everywhere. The earth is screaming at us. Things could happen. So being prepared is a good idea, but not everyone has a car. So what do you do? Or what if you don't have the money for an emergency kit? And what's it like seeing the province on fire and what happened and living in a small town?
7: Yeah, it's a little bit terrifying, to be honest. So um, the videos that came out of Lytton, and I think I'm very much not alone in this, were pretty scary and heartbreaking. Um, The people who escaped, in some cases, it felt like they they barely escaped. And that fire came in really quickly. So um, as a person who doesn't have a car... Um, I, I noticed immediately that a lot of those videos were from people who were fleeing in their cars and it immediately made me, it made it really real for me, um, you know, what it would be like to try to leave my house with my kid and my partner and my cat uh, not having a car. So um, so I decided to write about that and also the, the experience of putting together an emergency kit for the Taiyi because I thought that a lot of other people would be thinking about it. And I think that, uh, generally speaking, the messaging around emergency preparedness does tend to be focused at, you know, middle-class able-bodied people who have access to a car. We saw this in COVID too. Um, You know, some of the provincial messaging would be like, "Well, if someone in your household comes down with the illness, uh, make sure they're using the second bathroom." And you know, a lot of British Columbians are thinking, "Well," I don't have a second bathroom. Right. <laughs> who is advice? Yeah. yeah, who 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 is suited for this advice? So, yeah, that's basically what I decided to do, and I also decided I I do a little bit of I like doing illustration also, so I decided I would sort of do a little illustration of, uh, of how much my emergency kit cost. Um, so everyone's is going to be a little bit different depending on the size of your family and your personal needs. Um, for me, uh, BC recommends having two weeks, uh, sort of stockpiled of whatever medication you take. Um, that could be something as simple as ibuprofen. For me, it's migraine medication and, um, uh, like antihistamines. Mm-hmm. Uh, not that I take those regularly. I'm just allergic to enough stuff that in the event of an emergency, you know, something i want to have around Mm -hmm. but um yeah that's complicated for some for that's even more complicated for some folks anyone who needs to have their medication refrigerated like insulin
1: well i i think yeah you're mentioning and this and i keep going you're adding these layers of okay i gotta remember this remember this (laughs) but then but then no no it's fine i think this is a really good thing for everybody to think about and talk about because i keep going back to wait you have to walk so not only not only are you thinking about everything you do but but limits and what's important like that that's really something you got to sit down and think about, isn't it?
7: A hundred percent. So, in my case, for my family, because we get around by bike most of the time, our plan to flee either would inc- involve um, bikes and bike trailers and a trailer bike for my kid, uh, or it would involve our canoe because we live very close to the ocean. So. Uh, It just depends on what kind of hazard we would be facing. Um, But for other folks, for people who have mobility issues, um, the province and generally the municipalities, their first line of suggestion is to like chat with other people in your neighborhood to see who might be able to offer you a ride. Um, In some cases, municipalities might be sending out uh, public transportation buses to collect folks but it's just not something you're supposed to rely on but you know if you think about somewhere like vancouver if you have a neighborhood where there are a lot of low-income folks or a lot of people who are car less or car free depending on how you want to phrase that you know that that's a more complicated question so uh yeah i pose a lot of questions i got some answers they're not totally fulsome and i'm not you know it didn't make me stop worrying about the issue. I'll
1: put it that way. Yeah. Oh no. See, that's what I was going to ask. That's, that's not a good thing, but that's what we need because this is stressful. Like you got to know, you got to be sure. I wonder though, maybe go back to the kits. What, what are you, what are you looking at for, um, if you buy a kit, let's say a whole kit, are they expensive? Yes,
7: they're quite expensive. So I think you can buy kits for, I mean, they come in varying prices and then you probably need to add stuff to them so for me as i costed out my kit um and not involved uh getting a thrift store from the duffel uh, a duffel bag from the thrift store some extra clothes from the thrift store my bag for a family of three with a cat came out to 721 dollars
0: oh wow
7: (laughs) yeah and that's so that's pretty steep um you can find them online for anywhere between maybe 300 and you can pay as much as you want. It is okay. the type of thing where you can pay as much as you want. But right. it's not it's not a cheap proposition. Um, and and you're right when you were talking earlier about thinking about what you'll be able to carry. Um, the province suggests having a grab and go bag and having that be different from your shelter in place kit so and if you have a car you're actually supposed to have one that's in there so that if a disaster hit while you were out and about (laughs) you would be prepared to deal with that so yeah the costs really do add up um and it's complicated and in fact i don't think it's you know the statistics say that a lot of british Columbians do not have these kits and and uh and for me you know there are people who are scrimping and saving to wonder if they're going to be able to afford to buy like bananas or oranges in their next grocery shop so it makes a lot of sense that they're not also you know buying a whistle and a multi-tool and a hand crank radio for their emergency kit (laughs) right
1: yeah wow yeah you know this is so eye-opening to the whole equality thing like wow okay so after all your research and everything you've done what what are your suggestions what, for the people that are listening are like, okay, I am that low budget. I am in the middle of nowhere. What, what, what are you? How would you suggest you go about thinking about building this kid or where would you start?
7: Yeah, um, so I think actually the very first place to start uh, is to think a bit about community resiliency, so what you have to offer and what you need to ask for. This, again, isn't going to suit everyone, but chatting with your neighbors or your friends who live close to you And coming up with plans um, where you can help each other out, Um, like mutual aid ends up being very, very important in emergencies. And I know this from some previous reporting, um, it often tends to be communities that will come together to make like a soup kitchen happen or something like that. So um, and then the other thing I would suggest is seeing what your community has available in terms of evacuation plans and emergency plans like know what the emergency routes are and know what your hazards are for me we could have a storm surge so we'd be moving inland on our bikes Um, or if we have a huge forest fire you know maybe that means we're on our canoe in the ocean Um, but yeah just thinking about potential eventualities and trying to mitigate those as much as possible in terms of the kits um, you can fill your own water bottles. Water is really, really important. Um, and then if you can, just add like one thing to each of your grocery shops that you'll put aside. Um, kind of like I'm blanking on the nursery rhyme, but is it the ants and the grasshopper? I don't know. Anyway, start very slowly stockpiling stuff. But yeah, because the price tag, if you look at it all altogether, is intensely steep but um, if you take it bit by bit, if you can find the room in your budget to do so, it's probably a good idea. Um, And then if you are on a medication that is uh, restricted uh, or needs to be refrigerated, think about how you could potentially uh, deal with that situation in the event of an emergency. So um, talk to your doctor or pharmacist about it and maybe make a photocopy of your prescription that you can keep in a grab-and-go bag, so that uh, so that in the event of an emergency, uh, you at least have a copy of the prescription, and probably the emergency operations center folks will be able to track that down. I spoke with Brian Reynolds, a postdoc fellow at UBC who studies this kind of stuff, and he said that in emergencies, uh, EOCs do come together to make sure that people who need methadone or adhd medication Mm -hmm. or insulin get those meds but uh in my town uh our local evacuation assistant did say that it was really important to to try to have that prescription handy in case of emergency
1: i think the most valuable thing out of that is know your others check your community it just it brings people together after and during let's let's have it happen before too because then we keep each other safe right i think so
0: this is the Shift podcast.
1: Are you drinking too much? Well, let's find out. I talked to Cheyenne Johnson, executive director at BC Centre on Substance Use. Just so you know, this conversation sort of came from my experience. I've been, I've been, um, I'm cutting out coffee because I've noticed I've been like doing too much of my substance. My, I've been drinking too much and having too much coffee and smoking too much weed. So I've been. I cut out coffee and I'm drinking an incredibly less amount. And so we just felt like, wow, people are probably going through similar things with substance right now. So it'd be Uh just a a good conversation to maybe have around, you know, just substance use, has it increased a little bit and just more, maybe even more so, you know, like how do we recognize it and what can we do like in the immediate... uh, to help ourselves. And like I mentioned, I am, I'm not drinking coffee, so I'm so cranky now. It's incredible. I can't even take it, Cheyenne. It's it's very good. It's very
8: good. Yeah. So, I mean, good for you for recognizing that caffeine is a substance because most people don't even recognize that it's uh, a substance uh, that we use that like all it, it alters our, our state of mind and it makes us focus more. But I've, I've known a lot of people that have cut out caffeine and I've heard it's very very difficult for quite a long period so uh keep it up and best of luck
1: thanks i feel more bad for the people i'm glad that's one i'm glad i'm working from home right now because the only person that has to tolerate me is my dog so and she just does just (laughs) fine so um i wonder are, are there some other things that maybe we don't recognize other than caffeine that are some um some substance that we might be like oh wait that's a thing we should pay attention to
8: well, I mean, I think when people think about drugs, they don't often think about alcohol as a drug. You know, you often hear like alcohol and drugs together when alcohol is a drug. So it's all the same category. Um, and I think the other piece is, you know, there is this artificial line in society that we've set around what's a legal drug. So we have legalized cannabis, obviously, in Canada in the last few years. Nicotine uh, products are also legal and alcohol is legal. And then we have, a, again, a sort of arbitrary line that, that we as society have created around what's illegal, and uh, opioids are illegal, and stimulants, certain types of stimulants are illegal. Uh, but again, that line has moved um, in our history. You know, you can think back to 1918 when alcohol was um, under prohibition, and all of the harms that came to society um, from the prohibition of that particular substance.
1: Right, totally. Um... I know that drinking has been up um, over the pandemic. Have we been drinking, have people been drinking too much?
8: Well, it's very interesting because often Canadians aren't aware and most healthcare providers are also not aware that in Canada we have what we call low risk drinking guidelines, which recommend for men and women what they could drink to be under a safe limit. So for women, that's 10 drinks a week with no more than two drinks a day, most days. And for men, that's 15 drinks a week for men with no more than three drinks a day, most days. And again, these are standard drinks. This isn't, um, you know, one of those giant wine glasses that holds a whole bottle (laughs) of wine counts as one, you know, one serving of wine is five ounces, um, one serving of beer is, you know, 12 ounces. So it has to adhere to these these pieces. But again, many Canadians aren't aware that alcohol is a carcinogen. It's linked to over 200 types of different cancers. Uh, and it can have serious health effects if, if used above the low-risk drinking guidelines.
1: Oh, my goodness. Okay, see, this is why I wanted to talk to you. Um, Can we drink all of our 15 drinks on one of those days and still be in their under the guidelines?
8: Well, that's why the guidelines talk about weekly limits and daily limits because we also know that periods of drinking, again, for men it would be more than three drinks a day okay, on one day. And women too would be considered um b- binge drinking on on one of those periods and again also also carry um also carry risks.
1: Right. Okay. Okay. Awesome. I just wanted to clear that up. Um if we're asking ourselves if we're drinking too much, are we probably drinking too much?
8: I mean, I think it's great to have that conversation with yourself and with, you know, family or friends or loved ones around you. And it, I mean, it's also another great piece that isn't really well integrated into our primary healthcare system. You know, for example, if you get a new family doctor, you go in for a check in. Usually they ask you. Um, you know, if you exercise, kind of what your diet is, what your family history is, it's quite unusual that on a regular basis, with uh, with a lot of follow up, family doctors and healthcare providers are actually asking us about our alcohol intake and providing us um, supports when we may be drinking over the the limit. There's actually um, a ton of scientific lim- literature on something called a brief intervention which can be delivered by a counselor or a health professional um, that, again, when people are concerned about their drinking and perhaps they're drinking above the low risk guidelines, but they don't have um, kind of a bona fide alcohol use disorder diagnosis, there's really simple interventions that healthcare providers can do that have very strong evidence that change people's behaviors around their alcohol consumption.
1: What are some of those?
8: So a lot of brief interventions, again, are one of them is even just knowing the low-risk guidelines that we talked about. Really? Um, so a lot of, because a lot of Canadians, as I mentioned, um don't know what the low-risk guidelines are, and people just knowing that they're drinking above those low-risk guideline limits can impact people's behaviors and change their drinking patterns.
1: Wow. That's, see... <laughs> So what if so if I ask that question and I realize it and and I'm there what what else can I do what's what's maybe another first or second step I should take in my you know progress to um, uh, self care and, and get myself out of drinking the amount I am.
8: Yeah. You know, often people can really reflect on the reason that they are drinking in the first place. And a lot of brief interventions or other health professional interventions in this area really um, look at building from your existing toolkit of strengths on how you can, you know, if you're feeling stressed, instead of having a drink, what's something you might like doing? Is it reading, taking a bath, walking your dog? Doing yoga, is there something else you can do in place of alcohol that has a good stress relief or relieves your anxiety? So, again, sort of thinking about the root as to if you're drinking out of stress or boredom, loneliness, depression, anxiety, which over COVID has been widely reported in numerous surveys and studies that individuals have reported this is why they've increased their drinking. So understanding um, what causes individuals to go for that drink, open the refrigerator, I think is one of the pieces um, that you can build upon to develop those strategies to relieve stress or anxiety or depression.
1: Okay, awesome. Well, it's hot. That's the reason I – that's the excuse I've been using. So, Thanks, Cheyenne. I love your name and I love this conversation. And Thank you very much for your time today. I really appreciate it.